In a far-off land, a radio show will commence. It's called Your Pet Matters, and tuning in would just make sense. Every Saturday at 10 a.m., relax and unwind. And listen to Dr. T, who has pet advice designed for you and for you alone. Free advice just for helping to keep your furry friend happy and healthy. Tune in to Your Pet Matters, a show underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care with quality you can't deny. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Good morning and welcome to Your Pet Matters. Right here on The Bronx. 1077 The Bronx FM. 1077 on your FM dial and 1077thebronc.com. <laughs> Interesting. Um, if you miss the shows, don't worry about it. We have a digital archive and. I'm also podcasting this on iTunes and Buzzsprout. Okay, I wanted to talk about a couple things today. Um, I was just involved in a discussion, a webinar, about how people like me, who are general practitioners, or as I call them, day practitioners, can work with specialists. And this combination, this symbiotic relationship leads to better health outcomes for your pets, longer lives, better outcomes, which is what it is all about. That's the big thing about veterinary medicine. And so this is going to be a little bit of a educational process for veterinarians and vet team members, and it's going to be a little bit of an educational process for pet parents. So it's a little bit of everything um, for this. So Let's start from the beginning. Um, I am a veterinarian, and one of the main reasons why I went into the veterinary profession was because I like the whole concept of it being what I call a jack-of-all-trades. I love the fact that I can do surgery. I love the fact that I can do digital x-rays. I love the fact that I can prescribe drugs. I love the fact that I can look at eyes, ears, skin, behavior, everything, dentistry, anything like that. So that's what was appealing to me because I didn't want to do the same exact thing every day, day in and day out. But having said that, I'm a master of all, but true expert of none. And that is where specialists come to play. So people like me go, we get our university education as a veterinarian. And if we wanted to specialize, we would then take several more years to do an internship and a residency in the specialty of our choice, and they write the veterinary boards to be able to practice as a specialist. So there's a lot more education involved, a decade of education involved, a decade of experience, a decade's worth of skill. And with that comes the specialty medicine approach. So people like me, which are general practitioners, there's many things I can do, but there's many things I can't. For example, a lot of day practitioners are doing their own ultrasounds. And there are some that are phenomenal, don't get me wrong, but most of us are not capable of doing a phenomenal ultrasound. So if we needed that specialty ultrasound, today I had, to, um, I had my specialists, my internal medicine mobile specialists come in and do an abdominal ultrasound to chaos and chaos is a senior pet who we're worried about what's going on in his abdomen 
So I was able to take digital radiographs and it's unusual things being shown there. Is there a mass effect? Is there something else going on? And so um, the good news is, is that with the help of the specialist and her ability to use uh, the ultrasound, we found that there is no mass in the abdomen, which is, which is great news because that's one thing we were really worried about. So having that specialist to work with that case is important. And I have to, let me backtrack a bit, that, that, that chaos came to me as a second opinion because their regular GP vet was not able to give them the answers they sought when they did the ultrasound. So, you know, I explained to them the difference between having a specialist who does this 24-7 and someone like myself doing an ultrasound. And so, uh, you know, Thankfully, the, the pet parents were really good about this and uh, were able to get the right diagnostic tools utilized, and we have an answer. And that's what's phenomenal about this. So that is a, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a prime example of how people like me can work with specialists to lead to better medical outcomes. But this all started, this whole concept all started with a study done by a colleague of mine who's a cardiologist. And she published an article in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association. And what a lot of articles are, there's what we call retrospective studies. They look at all these cases in the past that were done. And um, her name's Dr. Bonnie Lefbaum. She's a cardiologist. So she actually studied the... She looked at two things. That small dogs that are diagnosed with congestive heart failure, and she looked at if they were managed solely by a primary care veterinarian, a GP, a day practitioner, or by a cardiologist, a veterinary cardiologist, and a primary care veterinarian. And it's really outstanding uh, what the results show. They showed that dogs with congestive heart failure lived 77% longer. 77% longer. So if that doesn't convince you of the power, the symbiotic power, you know, it's like that old Super Friends cartoon, Wonder Twins activate. So your vet and the specialist are working together to get better outcomes for your pet. And for you veterinarian owners out there, I know that there, there's a lot of talk about, you know, keeping things what we call in-house. And I understand that. I understand the, you know, as corporations buy up a lot of practices and, you, and, you know, the, the number of practices that open up and you're always worried about, you know, in the end, we're, we are a business. We're in the business of pet health care. And there's always that concern about keeping your business doing well afloat even. And so there's a lot of talk about keeping things in-house. But here's the kicker, is that because the, the way the system worked, you have a primary care physician referring out to a specialist who then refers back to the primary care physician, that, that because that pet is being seen by both doctors, they're getting better health care, but they're also seeing you actually more often than they would alone if they were dealing with you alone. And it actually led to better margins for the veterinarians. So think about that as well. So it's a win-win situation. A win-win situation. 
And so how does all this begin? Well, the whole advice I would give to you young veterinarians out there is network, communicate, make ties, make uh, connections, whether you're a general practitioner or whether you're a specialist. Specialists should reach out to the general practitioners that they service in that area. And general practitioners, make it a point to actually get to know who that specialist is, no matter what field they're in. Because that communication usually leads to camaraderie, which usually leads to better referrals, more trusted referrals. I'm fortunate that I know several specialists that I will reach out to and refer to. I will even reach out to them with questions of cases that may not and result in referral. And I want to keep those connections alive. I call it be the pain in the butt. Keep being a pain in the butt. Keep in touch. Make those connections. And guess what? When you go to a conference or you're locally, you'll run into them, you know, um, thank them, take them out for dinner, buy them a coffee, buy them a beer, whatever it is, make that connection because it will be so much more beneficial to both parties and to the patient care. So make your networks. Make your networks. Um, so we'll take a short break right now. And then we'll come back and I'll talk about exactly how that process works and what things to, for you um, practitioners out there to explain or you veterinary team members to explain to the clients. That's important, I think, when you're talking about referral. And then I'll talk about where I think that future of this whole process is going. So stay tuned right here on Your Pet Matters. 107.7 on the FM, 1077thebronc.com. Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend, Dr. T, only on 1077 The Bronx. Hey, welcome back. I just wanted to more elaborate on that whole concept of the collaboration between a general practitioner or day practitioners like myself and specialists and how it actually enhances the length and quality of your pet's lives. Um, but I wanted to talk about the process, right? So... When does it take place? How does it take place? What are things that both the veterinary team members need to know and pet parents need to know? And so typically it involves both the capabilities and skill and uh, you know confidence of your, your general practitioner, their, their ability to have the equipment, et cetera, that can do certain things. So I think that's just a, it's variable across the board. Um, I know some veterinarians who don't do surgery. I know some veterinarians who do severely involved surgery. So it's all relative to that um, and how we go. But typically, so let, let me talk about this typical standard case of referral to a, a specialist and how it's going to help your pets. Number one is that you, you need a diagnosis. You need a diagnosis of something that is fairly severe. So let, let's say you need a diagnosis of cancer. Um, let's say it is a severe tumor in an area that your general practitioner is not able to perform surgery on. So the way I work this out is first and foremost, I reach out to my mobile surgeon. Um, they are skilled, they're board certified, they can do the, the surgery um, needed. And in many cases of cancer, that's your first step is to do surgical intervention. 
let me backtrack. We, we, when we diagnosed, we actually did an aspirate and got a definitive answer of what it is. And then we're talking about the known cancer, what we're going to do. The second thing I do is actually reach out to oncology people I know to, again, talk about the process to better educate my clients about what is involved. And then we have to have a discussion with the client about what our options are, right? Because you never want to say, okay, you got to do this, 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 this without knowing exactly what's involved. And in many cases, the discussion of finances has to come up because it is, it is not uncommon that performing a surgery by a boarded specialist, going to a boarded oncologist and getting whatever cancer treatment you need, you're talking big, you're talking thousands of dollars there. So it's incredibly important that whoever is discussing this with clients, and especially if you're doing it in the format, you're referring it out to a referral center, is that you at least have a rough discussion about the finances. Many specialists I know will actually give me a rough ballpark about what the clients are supposed to expect. So we need to have that discussion because you never want to send a client out there and they're just blindsided by the cost. That's incredibly important. The other thing is expectations of what the whole process is going to be. So in this case that I'm using, we're talking about surgical intervention. We're talking about um, oncology consult and what that can lead to, whether it's chemotherapy, radiation therapy, whatever it is, that should be discussed with the client. And for you clients, you know, in many cases, it all depends on what you're capable and willing to do. Unlike human medicine, where we get a diagnosis of cancer, you are then taken down this set of steps that will lead to a lot of, you know, chemotherapy sessions, anything that the, the whole concept is we're going to break you down to build you up to save your life. And in the pet world, don't forget, you have choice. You can start a process. You can stop a process. There are options to do at each stage. So that is the process. But, but what you need to understand as pet parents is that by utilizing specialty with general practitioners, you get much better medical outcomes. And a great example of this is, is cardiology. Cardiology pet patients under the care of both their cardiologist and their general practitioner live longer, healthier lives. And I could, I could actually talk about any sort of any sort of uh, concept. There's internal medicine diseases that, um, you know, my, my patients will flip between me and, and internal medicine and we, we do better care. And we do better care because it, the, the patient has been a patient of mine for a long time and then becomes a patient of a specialist. And so now you have two heads that, um, thinking about the problem, two heads that communicate well. So a tip to those veterinarians, I, I touched on this before, is it's incredibly important to build your network, but continue that communication. So th there's going to be times where you have sent a pet or a pet has arrived at a specialty center and they're under the care of a specialist that you may not know. It's very important to have a discussion with them. One-on-one -on -one discussion, discuss what's, what's all about so you could actually give better informed answers to your, your pet parents. Um, and so where do, where do I see the future of this going? Well, there's a lot of specialists graduating every year, a lot and a lot of them. And in my opinion, this is my opinion of how things are going to go. There's not enough specialty centers to house all these specialists. And as you get these 
it's interesting because my whole concept with these one-stop shop concepts, I understand it. That's a trend now. You go to this big facility where there's grooming, there's pet food, pet sales, toys, whatever. There's a veterinarian, and um, it's all under one roof. And they're keeping bee specialty, and it's all under one roof. The difficulty I find with this is it's it's more of a corporate ex- approach. I think the I think the the future for someone like me who owns a, a day practice is to have either mobile specialists that come in, which we have now, and I would kill if anyone's out there that is dermatology, ophthalmology. I would kill to have a mobile component of that come to my practice. I think I think that could pan well for a lot of the practices in the area. But I think that. Day practitioners are going to have a lot of specialists either come once a week and hang there for a day or come mobile and be part of that uh, process because I think that's going to be the way things are. So that's my take on specialty and um, day practitioners and how things will bode for the future. I think it's great. I think it's just, I think I'm excited about this whole process. I, I love having... The specialists come in. I learn things every time they come in. They provide the top-notch care and service to my patients and the clientele. And we just do better medicine. And there's a lot of good outcomes from that. So I'm really happy with that. Okay, let's take a short break. and We'll come right back after this. In a far-off land, a radio show will commence. It's called Your Pet Matters. And tuning in would just make sense. Every Saturday at 10 a.m., relax and unwind. And listen to Dr. T, who has pet advice designed for you and for you alone. Free advice just for helping to keep your furry friend happy and healthy. Tune in to Your Pet Matters, a show underwritten by Progressive Veterinary Care with quality you can't deny. Only on 1077 The Bronx. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan Van Dyne, your new producer of Your Pet Matters, only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077TheBronx.com. I thought that a good way to start out my very first producer pet project is getting a little personal with my pets. At home, I have three cats, one boy named Banjo, and two girls who are twins, Charlotte and Rosie, who are both five years old. The twins especially love to eat and always meow and sometimes groan when they get hungry. But there was one point in time in about a week after we first got them, we found out that they liked the one specific people food that we had no idea any cat would. That would be scrambled eggs. Yep, scrambled eggs are what my two twin cat girls, Char and Rosie, love that really surprised us. We were making scrambled eggs one one morning when we had a down from school because of snow. We saw Char first approach my mother while she was making them, meowing so loudly, brushing her head up against her leg, starting to follow her around at one point and jump when she went to serve us the eggs. We found out to be so funny how she was practically begging my mother to give her some eggs, but we just didn't know how much we should give, at, at the time, a four-year-old cat. We let the eggs cool down for a bit, and once they were fresh off the pan, and we gave them to Charlotte and eventually Rosie the eggs. And after we put the eggs in their bowls, if he ate them like there was no tomorrow, he absolutely loved the eggs and thought they were the best thing ever what they looked like. I never saw a cat love eggs so much than our two cats right there. They loved all of it, and we ended up giving them seconds, but that was it. So now, ever since we make eggs for our cats, Charlotte and Rosie, they always know about it and come right down the stairs, and we are ready to feed them. We would mix the eggs with the rest of the cat food with the moist and dry food, and they would enjoy all of it at the exact same time. So, if you have any cats at home who 
and you're looking for new food to try and give to them, feed them eggs. So who knows, maybe go crap boil them like our cats do. Eggs are healthy and good for you, and they can be good for your for your cats too. So simply add scrambled eggs to your cat's dish to go along with the milk and water and desserts, and I definitely think that you will want more of your scrambled eggs the next time you make them for your family and friends. Even if it's just a small amount of eggs could be healthy for your cat to have. According to Purina.com, giving your cat a small amount of eggs will provide her with monosaturated fat for heart health, polyunsaturated fat like omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids for brain, nervous system, and heart health. Eggs are full of nutrient and most importantly, fit in with the feline diet of mostly animals proteins. As long as you avoid any any seasoning in your eggs, you don't cook, cook the egg with any fats, oils, garlic, or onions, your cat should be able to enjoy a small amount of scrambled eggs every once in a while. But when it comes to giving your cat eggs, scrambled eggs should be the only option for you to give eggs. Raw eggs are not an option and are not suitable for cats. When eggs are not cooked or they're undercooked, they get harbor bacteria like salmonella. Also, raw egg whites can be very bad for cats, so avoid feeding them no matter how much they, they want to try to eat a raw egg. And even though eggs are nutritionally inadequate to be a complete meal for a cat, feeding a cat some eggs should be considered the same as giving them a treat. Look at it that way. If your cat wants to try a scrambled eggs, don't look at it as as that being their meal, look at it, I've given them a treat every once in a while. But you must be cautious in how much you should feed your cat eggs. Cats should only receive scrambled eggs once or twice a week, and not every single day, and never an entire egg. Breaking the egg up and offering a few small pieces at a time is best. Your cat may seem to love scrambled eggs and would want them almost every day and when you cook them, but you must be careful in how much you give them, so yes. Cats should only receive eggs once or twice a week, and that's it. But all in all, treat it like a dessert for your furry little friend. Though some may be very skeptical in feeding their cat scrambled eggs, but I promise you, if you feed your cat scrambled eggs, he or she will love them and go back and try them whenever you make them, so you have nothing to lose. So give your cat some scrambled eggs. I guarantee you, even if you just give them a little bit, I promise you, she or he will love them. I hope you found this edition of your Producer Pet Project to be the most helpful for you and your pet. This has been Logan 9 with your Producer Pet Project only on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Hear ye, hear ye! Your Pet Matters is back to answer your pet queries. Come get free pet advice from our friend Dr. T only on 1077 The Bronx. Okay, it's Dr. T right here on your listening channel. And I wanted to discuss the whole concept of how seeing is believing, that whole concept, and how it's actually hindering the pet parent's ability to understand potential pet health hazards that may be happening. So we often hear that term, I have to see it to believe it. And in many cases, like, you know, paranormal activity, UFO sightings, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster. Yes, you know, I honestly, I would agree that many times we need to see that they exist to believe. Uh, I don't want to discuss religion or anything like that because this, this is not what that show is about. That's, that's faith and what you believe in is what you believe in. But this, this show is about healthcare. So how that seeing is believing concept is taken in that many veterinarians, they struggle 
with the fact that pet parents often do not follow up on recommendations for things like, well, simple blood work um, to look at early changes in disease function, even heartworm testing, which is a blood test. Um, cardiac workups is huge. I think it's huge. And even things like pain management, we often hear that term, well, I don't, I don't think they're in pain. They're not showing me they're in pain. Uh, he or she looks fine to me. Those are typical comments that we face. So, you know, I, I think those, those areas of health that pet parents definitely see are, they, they see things like they see a limping pet. They see a mass. They see a cut. They see shaking the head. They see diarrhea. Well, sometimes they don't because the pets are going outside. They see a cat struggle to go in and out of the litter box. They see their pet's eyes squinting and tearing. They see a lethargic pet or a pet that's not able to move. They'll see an older, older dog with its eyes spinning, head tilted, and just spinning around. Um, and one area that we will probably touch is that they, you don't really see dental disease, but you certainly do smell it. And I'll, I'll touch on why you don't see it. So right now, I want you to think, I want you pet parents to think about the way I and many veterinarians see things. We, we, we see things as a means of early detection and prevention of disease process. So basically, I don't want you to see open mouth breathing in a cat in late stages of, of cardiac failure. I don't want you to see the chronic vomiting and lethar lethargy that, you know, late stages of kidney disease produces. I don't even want you to, to see the, the severe lethargy and vomiting and diarrhea that a, a foreign body can cause because it left, was left unchecked. I don't want to see your pet go blind because they had high blood pressure that was left unchecked. And I don't want your pet to, to, I don't want you to witness your pet waste away due to a potential mass that we can't see that's within the body that we could have detected earlier. So, so let's, let's talk about some of those diseases that we cannot see and that your veterinarian wants you to look at and work up before things get too late. And I think one of the big, big ones is cardiac disease. One of the biggies is cardiac disease. So part of a general physical exam is, no matter whether you go to your human doctor or your veterinarian, is they listen to the chest. And in early stages, so remember this concept, in early stages of cardiac disease, you may hear a heart murmur, but you may notice nothing clinically. So your veterinarian's there listening to the heart, and you pick up a murmur, and you, and you grade it anywhere from one through six, where one is very mild, and six is not very mild. It's very bad. So typically, if you veterinarian's been knowing your pet from day one, and, well, there's two scenarios. A, a, young, a young pet can have a murmur that sometimes goes away. Um, but typically, if we're talking about acquired cardiac disease, so something that develops later in life in mature adults. So if for several years nothing was picked up and all of a sudden your, your veterinarian is hearing a murmur, they'll probably list it as grade one or grade two. And they'll say, listen, I need a cardiac workup. And you pet parents are going to be sitting there going, what? There's, there's nothing wrong with it. There's, there, you know, there, 
they don't want heart disease because I know what heart disease is. They'll be, they'll be really lethargic. They can't catch their breath and everything like that. No. So the whole concept is you don't see it. You don't see that murmur. But disease progresses. It gets worse as time goes on. So that's one concept I want you to remember. And the other concept I want you to remember is, and this doesn't just all pertain to cardiac disease, it pertains to disease and process, in disease in general, is that there's this term called compensation. So if we use cardiac disease as an example, your pet can compensate. In other words, disease can progress, but you're not noticing any clinical changes until that disease reaches the threshold where there's about 50 to 65% of normal function lost in that organ. And that's when things hit and they start to show clinical signs and they show clinical signs. It appears that it happens overnight and it appears hard and fast. And so that those are the two concepts. Diseases progress and a pet can be compensated until a certain point. So we as veterinarians, we want to intervene. We want to go in there. And so we'll say a cardiac workup. Well, what's a cardiac workup? Well, cardiac workup consists of doing a blood pressure, looking for hypertension because that is also not visible, doing an ECG electrocardiogram, looking at the electrical activity of the heart, and doing chest radiographs to look at actually at the heart itself. And you can see if chambers are enlarged or the vessels are out of, of sync of what they're supposed to be. And the best workup you could ever get is getting a veterinary cardiologist to look at the heart with an ultrasound. They can look, they can measure the size of the chambers. They can look at how the valves are working. They can even use color Doppler to look at how the blood flows um, and look at how the blood flows from the heart to the lungs and from the rest of the body back to the heart. And a cardiac workup will determine a baseline in a, in a, in a pet that is compensated. So it'll be a baseline so that as things progress, well, later on, we can compare the two values and, and go from there, and it will determine if medications are needed. Okay, so that's, that's one thing. And so, you know, hypertension is picked up by doing a blood pressure, but sometimes we can correlate hypertension with eye pressure changes. So a lot of senior workups involve looking at eye pressure. Looking inside the eye, seeing how that optic disc, where all the nerve bundles of the optic nerve that go on the back of the retina look, we can see the vessels in there and see if they're engorged or anything like that. That can help determine if your pet is, is hypertensive or not. And oftentimes, even doing something like urine. Well, how, how does urine and hypertension link together? Well, urine, if there's a lot of protein spilling in the urine, uh, we do what's called a urine protein creatinine ratio, a, a UPC. And if we get consistency in that, where there's a high proteinuria, many times hypertension is one of the causes of that. So we actually treat that urine issue with cardiac drugs. Another silent disease in my neck of the woods is Lyme disease. And Lyme disease in 20% of pets that are actively infected with Lyme disease may actually not show any clinical signs but it can have de devastating effects if left untreated. So how does your veterinarian want to look at Lyme disease? That's where that blood test comes into play. Looking for um, the antibodies for Lyme disease in your pet. And a lot of people don't even want to get that done, but I'm telling you, you never, there's a joke in the vet world, we never see the tick that caused the disease. And I, I myself got Lyme disease, I don't even know how. I don't even know how I got Lyme disease, but clearly I was bitten by infected tech.
tick, not tech, <laughs> tick. Um, and the other thing I want to talk about are things like heartworm. Heartworm is silent. It's spread by mosquitoes. The worm gets in the, the blood supply, and it, it's not clinical until you're into right heart failure, until the worms are so large they're causing cardiac disease. How do we test for heartworm? We do a blood test. How, we can prevent it with the heartworm prevention, but it is one of those silent things till it is too late. Masses. Those soft masses that some pets go, oh, it's just a fat tumor, just don't worry about it. Those some masses can actually be one of the most common cancers in pets. It's called a mast cell tumor. And if left unchecked, it can spread, it can cause irritation. And many times if left unchecked and it grows, it can grow too large to actually do something about because you have to take large margins when you do it. So how do we look at a, a mass and make sure it's not good? Well, we aspirate it and we look at the cytology. We put those cells on a slide and look for abnormal cellular structure there. And the last thing I want to talk about is dental disease. So like I said, you really don't see dental disease. And what do I mean by that? Well, A, many people can't really look well in their pet's mouth, especially cat parrots. But B, a lot of times you have dogs that go and get groomed often and, the, and their teeth are scraped. And, I, and you ever wonder why a dog can have nice pearly white teeth and yet their breath smells horrendous? 40% of the tooth is visible. That's it. 60% is under the gum line. And so in many cases where I'm doing a physical exam and I'm smelling that, that dog's breath and I look at the teeth and they look beautiful, I know that they've been scraped. Well, sometimes we can see evidence that there's scraping going on. But I also know there's underlying dental disease because that 60% underneath the gum line is probably infected teeth. And that's something that we just don't you know, you don't see it. You certainly smell it, but you don't see it. And so that's why we perform dental procedures. And that's why when you go to the dentist, they take x-rays of your teeth because they want to look at underlying disease processes. So that's my take on seeing is really not believing. Believing in your vet is faith. Oh my God, I just came up with that. So I think it's, I think it's, it's really good that, you know, seeing is always not believing because what you see is ac actually not what's happening in many disease processes. Um, and your veterinary can help you through that. It can help open your eyes to understanding your pet's health. Wow. That's awesome. Okay, we'll take a short break and we'll come back right after this. Your Pet Matters with Dr. T comes to a close. Yet fret not if you missed the 10 a.m. Saturday show. Tune in Monday morning at nine if you please and hear free advice for all your dog and cat needs you can find past episodes on the your pet matters podcast or go to 1077thebronc.com slash your pet matters made for you and your pets 1077 the bronc is beyond compare your pet matters is underwritten by progressive veterinary care